0: M-A-R-S-M-U-M Main Menu Main Menu
1: Welcome to Main Menu for the week of December 28th through January 3rd, 2013, and we are having our Main Menu highlights of the year. This is a two-hour program, and I am pleased to have our executive producer for Main Menu, Mr. Chase Crispin, with me today to co-host the show, and welcome, Chase.
2: Thanks, David. It's great to be here doing this co-hosting today. It's not something we do very often, so we hope that all of you enjoyed this Your Highlights show. If you're listening on any other website other than ACB Radio Main Menu, we invite you to come check us out here at Main Menu. You can visit our website to find our shows, our contact information, and all that by going to http colon slash slash main menu dot That's where you can find our shows and our contact information, a link to follow us on Twitter and more. So be sure to Stop by, subscribe to our podcast feed, and keep up with what's going on here at Main Menu.
1: There's all kinds of places you can find us. In addition to our website and iTunes, there's a iBlink app on your iOS device or your Android device. Then there's radio reading services all over the world that have us. And I'm sure you can find us somewhere. If you can't, send us an email and we'll find a place for you. And uh, Chase, I believe you had a message from the president of ACB.
2: Before we get into this year's year highlights, we would like to play a greeting from ACB president Mitch Pomerantz, as well as a holiday greeting from ACB radio managing director Larry Turnbull. Once we get through that, we'll be here to start our year highlights. So regardless of if you are a new listener or a returning listener, it is great to have you with us on this special two-hour show.
3: This is Mitch Pomerantz, president of the American Council of the Blind.
4: And this is Donna Pomerantz as well.
3: And uh, on behalf of the entire ACB family, Donna and I want to wish all of our ACB family members and listeners to ACB radio a... Merry and joyful Hanukkah and Christmas, and a healthy and prosperous 2013. 2012 was an interesting year for the American Council of Blind. We again experienced some significant legislative and advocacy successes, and we continue to be the most democratic organization of blind and visually impaired persons anywhere. We hope that 2013 will be equally as successful for us and for all of you who, again, are part of our ACB family. So from Donna and me, again, we trust that we will see many of you next year at our 52nd Annual National Conference and Convention in Columbus, Ohio. Feel free to drop me uh, an email message if you have questions, comments about the American Council of Blind at mitch.pomerant at earthlink.net. Again, have a healthy and a happy New Year. Take care.
5: Happy New Year.
6: Hello, this is Larry Turnbull, Managing Director of ACB Radio, here to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and may all of your wishes come true. Also, I'd like to thank all of the staff at ACB Radio for their continued support in uh, providing the shows that you hear on ACB Radio, and to thank you, all of you listeners, for continuing to listen to ACB Radio. And just to let you know, we do have some changes coming to the ACB Radio website in 2013, so definitely stay tuned to ACB Radio and all of the ACB Radio lists, and we'll let you know what changes are coming and when they will be rolling out. Until then, happy holidays, and have a pleasant new year.
7: Be Holidays!
1: And we are back with you after the greetings, and we want to thank Larry for his greeting and Mitch for his greeting. And we are going to start out by looking at some of the main highlights of things that we did through this past year on Main Menu. And I believe the first one was our note-taker coverage, which was back early in the year. Uh, Chase, you want to tell us a little bit about that?
2: The note-taker coverage we did here on Main Menu at the beginning of the year was really one of the most fun. things that I've ever been a part of because the entire main menu staff really got involved. Even if they weren't giving demos, they were all giving us feedback on how it should work, helping to edit things and have content about note takers for every week. So what we did is we discussed five different note takers and each week we demonstrated a different task on those note takers. Now we demonstrated some of the newer note takers that are very popular including the pacmate braille note and the braille sense but we also talked about a couple of discontinued products like the icon and braille plus as well as the HumanWare maestro because we realized that not everyone can afford a new note taker but there are many of these used ones out there for sale that people are buying and learning to use because they are a lot more affordable so our goal was to kind of tell you and show you how all of these different note takers compared in different tasks and help you maybe decide which note taker was really best for you. And at the end of all of our demos, which aired over about a month, maybe a little more, we had a panel discussion with all of the participants in the Battle of the Note series, which is what we called it. And we discussed pretty much everything about note takers, like why they're still needed for some people, why you might not need a note taker, their advantages, their disadvantages, and more.
1: Well, we are here with a illustrious panel of folks who have been with us doing the introduction trials of the various features of note takers. And we're here now with them to discuss other features of the various note takers and get their information and input and i'm going to introduce each one of the people and let them give you a little bit of the background on themselves so we'll start and we're going to go in alphabetical order and so first is chase crispin
2: Hello, everyone. This is Chase Crispin. I'm the executive producer of Main Menu. Uh, I guess there's not much to say about me. I'm here today talking about the Icon from Level Star and the Braille Plus from APH. Soon there'll be a new device called the Braille Plus 18 second generation coming out.
1: I'm David Tanner. I'm going to be the second person in the uh, questions here. And I am an assistive technology specialist with Minnesota State Services for the Blind. My device <laughs> is the Maestro. And our third Person is Debbie Bach.
8: And I'm Debbie Bach. I've been an assistive technology trainer for the past 15
9: years. I will be talking about the Braille Note.
1: And our next person is Mary.
9: I am Mary Emerson. I am happily retired, and I'll be primarily talking about the PackMate, although I do have a rail note.
4: And finally, Rich Cavallero. I'm a Rich Cavallero, a, a computer information technology major at Hofstra University in New York, and today I will be here discussing the Sense line of note-takers from him.
1: Why did you choose the Braille Plus organizer? Do you think it was a good choice?
2: For me, I chose it because, as I said, it's available through through quota funds uh, from the American Printing House for the Blind for students. It's been a good decision. I use the Braille Plus a lot for you know a lot of different tasks. Uh, I like the Braille Plus because of its size. It's very small. It's portable. I
1: uh, had chosen the Maestro because it does synchronize with Microsoft Office, and it can synchronize the email. It can synchronize calendar. It can synchronize the address book and um, because I had the Maestro Trekker I had a, a very good GPS also I'm not gonna say it's the only thing I use at this point but I certainly do still use it occasionally
8: I like the Braille note. the reason I got the Braille note is because I liked the easy menu interface the word processor is probably the um, what used on it the most what I like about it is that I could turn it on get into a document take notes. I could write reports on it and easily convert them over to Microsoft Word. I also like the onboard help system because anywhere if I don't remember a command or need to learn a new command, I can just hit the H chord and get a context-sensitive helper where I happen to be. I feel that it's a
9: product that's very easy to learn and use. And I chose it because I wanted a QWERTY keyboard. For- for ease of use. The commands are very much like Windows and like JAWS, and I wanted a 40-cell display because a lot of the books that I read are from NLS web braille, and I wanted to be able to read with those.
4: I have been using a Sense product since the end of last year, and I was really looking for something that had built-in GPS uh, and something that was really simple to use and also had a lot of note-taker functions. And the Sense has that. It has a really easy interface, very portable, and I could really take it anywhere I need to go and can use it for a lot of my day-to-day functions.
1: That's one of the nice things about note takers that puts them at an advantage over any computer is that you turn it on and you're ready to go.
2: The Braille Plus is, with the exception of maybe the Maestro, the smallest note taker that I've seen uh, just because of the way it's laid out. For me, that's kind of the big factor with it. It has a bigger hard drive, has a 60 gig hard drive. Most devices just have megabytes, so that's a huge uh, factor that, that I like over the other devices.
1: I like something smaller than the traditional note takers, but I like to have all the functionality. And it's one of the reasons that I chose the Maestro.
8: As far as the word processing goes and the menus, I find that the Braille note is very quick and easy to use. If you want to be able to take down information quickly, you can just start it up and do that with whereas with some of these other devices, you have to go through a few steps to open the word processor to double Tap, or um, you know, once you get into the word processor, then uh, if you're using a Bluetooth keyboard, sometimes there can be pairing problems. The Braille Note really shines when I want to take notes quickly, I uh, enter information quickly. Um,
9: but it, I don't think
8: it synchronizes as easily.
9: If I want to read a text file and I have to know the format of it and I want to skim through the headings and such, then I use the PacMate because it does retain the file format and okay. I think that's where it shines.
4: I do use the word processor a bit throughout my uh, daily usage of the product and uh, just being able to take it out and take notes quickly uh, is probably one of the biggest features that shines for me.
2: The really advanced feature of the icon in the Braille Plus is probably The calculator. It does all the normal add, subtract, multiply, divide. It also does exponents. There's a lot of scientific calculator functions, such as you can determine variables. You can view the lines that you've written and go back and edit them. There's a lot of very advanced math functions. It also lets you view answers as fractions instead of decimals. I also think a strong feature is how it connects to any Braille display you have. If you already have a Braille display, you can buy the Braille Plus. You don't pay for a Braille display with it, and you can use pretty much any display that you have around with it.
8: The thing that I like about it is the ease with which you can export. I can export a
9: braille document to Microsoft Word. The ease of use because it's so much like JAWS and like Windows and the learning curve is, for me, at least it was almost non-existent and I loved the fact that I could just turn the thing on and just start using it right away because I knew Mm -hmm. JAWS well enough.
4: The Sense interface is very much like Windows, uses especially with the QWERTY keyboard. A lot of the familiar Windows commands that you're accustomed to if you're a user of Windows on the PC. I think also that the uh, Daisy and the book reading functions are just so easy to use, being able to uh, unzip and uh, zip files like files from Bookshare and download books from Bard. uh, And also the help system. Um, It has excellent context sensitive help. And if you ever get stuck, just push F1 and you can get uh, some very good help as to what part of the system you're in if you are not sure what uh, keystroke
2: external storage, it requires a mini SD card, which is between micro and regular, and you pretty much can't find mini SD cards at all anymore. To charge it or to connect it with anything USB, like a flash drive or a braille display, you have to connect what's called the interface cable, which is a short cable that plugs into the bottom of the braille plus or icon. On the other end, it has the place to plug in the charger, the cord that goes to your computer, and then a USB port for keyboards, flash drives, and braille displays. Uh, Those cords have been known to break. Uh, It's kind of inconvenient to carry an extra cord along with you.
1: the cable and it requires a special cable to hook into the bottom of the unit to interface it with a computer and that cable lost it now or broke it now you may or may not be able to find a replacement and there were no regular USB ports so you had to connect it using that particular uh, connection
8: I'd say the biggest disadvantage would be the synchronization it only will do the calendar and the address list and um, other devices that I've used are a lot easier to uh, set up the synchronization and the other disadvantage I'd say is Um, On the internet, it
9: doesn't do well with loading large web pages. I think the big disadvantage is the lack of ports. The only port, USB port on there, is the one for hooking it up to your PC. And if you want to do Ethernet or Bluetooth or Wi-Fi, you have to have a compact flash card that will have these features and the ports on them. And these are difficult to try to find these days.
4: I think for the Sense product, that uh the biggest disadvantage is the browser and loading large pages and also synchronizing you can only sync your calendar and your contacts uh and i think that that is a bit of a problem since you know email and other things i wish uh, could be supported
8: i had to send mine in for repair once into humanware they did not give me a loaner unit while it was gone they had it for about i'd say a month to five
2: weeks so i don't use the braille plus for everything i I use an iPhone uh, for a lot of the email just to read it on the go, but if I want to do something really, really formatted uh, as far as a document, I will use a computer and I use my iPhone uh, for listening to music and for doing a lot of email and communication on the go.
1: I do still use the GPS part of of my uh, Maestro Trekker, still keeping my calendar synchronized on there and I do do that.
8: I am finding now since I've had my iPhone and since I've had a few other smartphones that I've tended to prefer to use those devices for the email, web browsing, texting, um, and even calendar just because it's so easy to sync with Outlook.
7: Well,
9: I like an all-in-one device. I like having a keyboard and a braille display. Um, I do use the PC for email and for a lot of other things. I still love having a QWERTY keyboard and the PacMate. If I have a file that I need to edit, it requires attention and I need to pay attention to how it's written and all of that, then I love using a QWERTY keyboard with Hackmate.
4: I also have an iPhone and a a Braille display and use that for a lot of things like email, especially because one of the weaknesses of the Sense products, there's no IMAP support, Um, so I've kind of switched my email over to that, especially because of the lack of uh, 3G data. Um, I find, though, that the GPS and the DAISY playback, since I don't uh, honestly prefer to use my phone for DAISY playback, and especially since some of the DAISY formats can't be played on the iPhone at this time nls uh those are the big two gps and the daisy playback are the big two that the voice that's qwerty uh gets used
2: it also does not support html5 does not support flash does not support basically anything except your basic pages it will read image uh labels and things like that but the browser is a little sluggish does not do imap email
1: well i would say on the maestro it's fairly old technology in some ways uh but um If you don't need some of those new technologies, uh, you're fine. If it were a device that I was looking at today, the Maestro is very accessible. It's very easy to learn. There are a lot of great new devices out there, like the iPhone that several of us have mentioned that we have and use that uh, have great features, uh, excellent accessibility, but aren't going to be nearly as easy to use or learn to use um, as the maestro. Uh, I think that's one of the big things it has going for it. It really, if you use the tutorials that you can download from the HumanWare page and so forth, you could find it very easy to learn.
8: If you are a Braille user or if you just want to be able to take notes, have everything on one device and you want a simple, easy to learn, easy to use Interface, then I would say that the, the Braille Note um, or the Voice Note would definitely be the way to go.
4: I think that uh, if one is looking for a small, easy to use but yet powerful device, that the Sense products are definitely worth looking into.
1: Well, thank you panel for uh, coming together and getting this all of this great information out to our users, and I believe uh, that. Yeah, that was about a month and a half, maybe a period of the time when we went through there, and you know, probably most of the note takers have not uh, had a whole lot of changes in them since then. I think maybe some of the hymns note takers may have had some uh, upgrades, but most of the rest of them are still about where they were this time last year.
2: Yeah, the hymns note takers moved up to the U2 line, but uh, the software didn't really change so what you heard in the demos is how they still work they just have a little more processing power and bigger storage space and also the braille plus and icon were replaced by the braille plus 18 which just came out a couple months ago from when we're recording this and that is an android based note taker that obviously wasn't featured in this note taker panel but besides that I think most of the information should still be current for you. Okay.
1: So do you want to go ahead and talk a little bit about the, the Braille Plus,
2: uh, the, the coverage we did on that? When the Braille Plus 18 was first released, I recorded a introduction to it for Main Menu where I described its features and the controls and showed you around the home screen and how to start it up for the first time. And a lot of people were interested in this because this is really the first note-taker running a completely mainstream operating system. It's based on Android, so it can do things like run apps, things like that. It has built-in cell phone capabilities for both GSM and CDMA. has a very powerful GPS application, which i will hear about in a second. It has an OCR application. It has a camera built into it so you can take a picture of a printed page and find out what's on that page. And it has a lot of other features. It, of course, has all the normal note taker features like a book reader, a word processor. But after I did my demonstration, I got to speak with Larry Skukon, who is the technology project leader at the American Printing House for the Blind. And Larry told us a lot about what's behind the Braille Plus 18. And he also introduced us to another APH product, which was the Bookport DT. Hello, Main Menu listeners. This is Chase Crispin, and I am speaking with Larry ScootCon from the American Printing House for the Blind. Welcome back to Main Menu.
10: Well, thank you so much, Chase. It's really a pleasure to be here. We really do have some pretty exciting technology to talk about. I'm looking forward to um, discussing it with you.
2: So let's start with the Braille Plus eighteen, since that's kind of the newest one. Um, can, can you kind of just give us an idea of kind of the background of the Braille Plus eighteen? And there's already been a demo here on main menu of it, but I think it'd be a good idea to just kind of talk about where it came from and the basic concept of it.
10: Okay, sure. Yeah, we uh, APH and Level Star began working on this note taker. We'll call it, um, although it's really more aptly called. Uh, Uh, An Android smartphone with a Braille keyboard and display and several specialized applications, or an Android tablet, you could call it, because uh, it's it's a phone and a tablet, I guess you could say. And the advantage of that, of course, is that now we can do all the fine-tuning with Braille that we want. We have all the power to do the neat things that, well, like we did really on the first generation of the Braille Plus. But now we also have the support of a mainstream operating system and literally hundreds of thousands of applications that other people are writing to uh, run on these devices. You know, about two months ago, we finally came out uh, with the Braille Plus 18. This is a very fast-moving technology, and so the whole idea of, of running Android on a device like this was to try to take advantage of, you know, some of the quick-moving, fascinating, useful tools that are developing like optical character recognition and voice recognition and really image recognition, not not just characters, but actually the ability to recognize um, buildings and so forth like Google Goggles does. So, you know, if you have that combination of an operating system that is evolving quickly and is open source and has hundreds of thousands of applications and the ability to create specialized applications yourself for it, It uh, you know, you pretty well have a, a winning combination there. So that's the philosophy behind Braille Plus 18. Can you
2: talk a little bit about how Android will kind of allow the Braille Plus to keep with with Android and how you guys at APH and Level Star plan to kind of keep with Android upgrades?
10: Well, we, we certainly hope to. Um, I can't say anything definite, but, um, you know, as we were working on this device, there were actually two versions of Android that came out in the, in the meantime. And, and we already upgraded once during the process of development. So I imagine that a device like this will probably always be, well, hopefully we can make it as little as a month behind the release of a new operating system. Um, the, the truth is it's not a trivial task to upgrade an operating system, even even something as common as Android. And, you know, you can see evidence for that in the fact that many of the phone carriers take uh, months or uh, you know, half a year or even a year to upgrade the handsets that they have out already. But I also don't think you'll ever see it get as far behind as using, you know, an operating system that's several years out of date, like like we see with Windows CE right now. The world is... um changing pretty quickly. And with Android, you know, we really do want to try to keep up with that world because it's important for students and um, and professionals that are trying to be competitive in this fast-moving economy. I don't think we've seen a note-taker before with stereo microphones and stereo speakers. Um, we haven't seen one before with a, a camera and flash with OCR software built into it. So, um, for those of your listeners that don't really know what that means, I mean, we've seen a device like the Intel Reader that's a, a dedicated device that will let you scan a page, uh, whether it be a, a menu or a piece of mail or what have you. But to have it built right into the system with everything else is a first. Also have a GPS receiver built into the device. With a state-of-the-art GPS uh, software suite, I'm really excited about this this program called Nearby Explorer that actually comes with it, and it's um, really an interesting application because not only does it have already the maps in the United States and Canada, but if you're on a network such as a Wi-Fi or a cell data connection. It also communicates with the Google Places services. So there's that integration with the online ability for Google to keep things updated, the ability to publish your places. So if you mark uh, something that's not been marked before, you can actually publish it, and other users of Nearby Explorer will be able to um, see them. The transit feature in Nearby Explorer integrates with Google Transit, which gives current uh, public transit schedules and routes in a really accessible way. In fact, in Nearby Explorer, you can just pick the transit option on the menu, and it'll actually list out the bus stops that are within 350 yards of you and when the next bus comes and which direction it's going. So it's a pretty real-time experience. It comes with a digital talking book reader that integrates with Bookshare. Um, it, it will play NLS and RFB or uh, learning ally um, once we get it uh, finalized, and there'll be free upgrades until that is finalized, and of course, they have to be approved by those two organizations. In addition to that, it's got, uh, well, a recorder. This browser is actually a really great browser, and once it's made accessible, like we did here on the Braille Plus, it uh, is, I think, one of the better browsing experiences of any, even on a desktop computer it um, is pretty snappy and it's 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 just pretty amazing it supports some of the newer html features and plugins and
2: is the nearby explorer gps going to be made available for people just using android phones or tablets to use or is it just exclusive to the braille plus
10: No, we will be making it available as an app for the Android market. The Bookport
2: desktop, or as it's called, Bookport DT, this is another really new and exciting product. Can you kind of... Explain to us what the bookport DT is.
10: What we tried to do with the bookport DT was to bring the experience of the uh, cassette desktop recorder, the simplicity to the digital arena while still giving you the benefits of the digital media uh, being that you know better better quality uh, recording, uh, better abilities to insert and delete uh, material. And, and then at the same time, give you the ability with the wireless technology to um, obtain your reading material on the device without having to use a computer. And the uh, BookPort DT is actually the first device um, in the United States designed to take advantage of a protocol called DAISY Online. A Daisy Online is sort of a two part deal. Uh, we have the client in the Bookport DT. Uh, we also have a server that we're working on at APH and is already set up to distribute Reader's Digest and Newsweek um, as soon as we get the NLS approval with it. And we have a couple other pretty uh, great ideas for obtaining content on it as well that you'll be seeing over the next few months. So the whole idea. Really is to give you a, a good, high-quality sounding device that records well and can operate independently from a computer. So you don't you don't even really have to uh, have or, or even know about computers to take pretty effective use of this thing.
2: What are some differences in terms of either hardware or software between
10: the Bookport DT and the Bookport Plus? Well, the uh, Bookport DT um, has actually an Ethernet jack on it, too. It also has Bluetooth headphone capabilities as far as the hardware part of it goes. Um, And, of course, the bigger speaker, that's that's sort of one of the, the givens. Software-wise, the Bookport DT has got um, the, this new DAISY Online capability that I was just mentioning a little bit earlier and sort of a, a, a more enhanced recording um, capabilities. With the Bookport DT, you can actually treat it like a like a cassette device. You can hit rewind and back up into your recording and then start take off recording from there. So we, tr- we really tried to make the software do the kinds of things that you could do that you were used to on a cassette. I think you'll see See those features migrating their way toward the Bookport Plus as well.
2: What is the pricing
10: for the Bookport DT? 449 I believe.
2: Well, Larry, thank you for joining us here on Main Menu today. As always, it's been great talking with you and learning about all these cool new technology
10: products. All right. Thank you, Chase. It's been real fun. Uh, the
1: next uh, group of products, is, and I think you did the coverage on this, too, was the uh, a lot of the coverage on the HIMSS products, including the, I believe you talked about the U2, which was what the, at that time just very new.
2: You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, we we spoke with Jenny Axler from HIMS about their new products, which were the Braille Sense U2, both one with a Braille keyboard and one with a QWERTY keyboard. We talked about what was new, what could be expected in the future, and some of the things that they had included in that new device. And we also talked about the Braille Edge, which was their new Braille display. It's very popular. It is a 40-cell Braille display with, of course, USB and Bluetooth, but it includes some basic note-taker functions, like a basic word processor that handles text documents. You can actually read books on it when it's not connected to a computer. It has a clock and a stopwatch, and I believe it has some other basic applications. So we spoke with Jenny from Hims about these new devices to learn a bit more about them. And after that, Mary Emerson from the main menu team actually brought us a demonstration of the braille edge and its features which we probably don't have time to highlight here but we were also on top of these devices in terms of demonstrations hello main menu listeners this is chase crispin and i'm visiting today with jenny axler from HIMS, and we're going to be talking about two new products that HIMS is selling that have been talked about quite a bit and this is the new braille sense u2 note taker and the new Braille Edge Braille Display. Can you just go ahead and give us an introduction to the Braille Sense U2?
11: The Braille Sense U2 is the successor to the Braille Sense Plus. It has 32 gigabytes of storage, which is four times what the Braille Sense Plus had. Um, It has twice the running memory at 256 megabytes of RAM. We have a one gigahertz uh, mobile CPU on board. Um, We have updated the OS to CE6. It has an internal GPS, digital compass, accelerometer and vibrate motor. We uh, support Wi-Fi BG and N. We also support uh, USB 3G modems. Of course, everything is just faster. The media sound quality has improved. The codecs that they're using are much improved, so it really sounds great. So just huge improvements in the hardware all around. We're going to be having a Google Maps application in 7.0. What this, this hardware allows us to do is to really expand on what we're doing, and it gives us a lot more power and speed and room to play with as far as building on our applications and introducing new things. We can support um, mobile broadband use either with you know, the USB air cards, as I mentioned, or of course, you know, the things like a Bluetooth DUN. So a cell phone can be used as a Bluetooth modem or you can tether it via Wi-Fi. So, you know, we really wanna make sure that we have the power and speed that um, you can use. Now, one thing we have not mentioned, we do have a QWERTY model coming out as well that is going to have all of these same specifications. The U2 QWERTY actually looks very different. And part of the reason is that it has a much larger, more comfortable keyboard. Um, So it is very slim, it's not as thick, it's not as boxy, very thin, and it's deeper from front to back to accommodate that extra keyboard space. These both have 32 cells. Um, Both the QWERTY version and the uh, Perkins-style keyboard version both have 32 cells. The battery life in these things is also much, much improved. It's about 17 hours.
2: With all of these new operating systems that are coming out, and obviously Microsoft is starting to move away from Windows Mobile or Windows CE, have you thought about moving to an operating system that is newer than Windows CE?
11: This is something that they're constantly considering, what to do for the future. And again, you know, I don't know what the answer will be as far as, um, you know, whether they will port to something else at some point. I'm, I would think that at some point they may have to do that. I think the, the reason that they've stuck with CE for so long is that um, it's stable. They have found it to be. I guess, stable in the sense that they can develop accessible applications without, you know, they they know how to work around it, they know how to, they're able to, um, you know, keep up with development speeds. There are other um, operating systems, you know, like Android, for instance, this is this is a very popular thing. You know, people really want to be able to use Android, but it's been very, very difficult for those who are trying to develop with it um, to work around the accessibility issues. And so I think the reason that they've stuck with it and continued and, and decided to use CE6 is that they've been able to keep up with their development schedule to still provide some very mainstream applications like you know the Google Maps and Twitter and Google Talk and things like that. As as well as uh, you know, productivity things like uh, we'll also have um, we'll be able to view format characters in the word processor and password protect files in the next version. Um, and yet, they're also doing things like uh, we have a bookshare search and download application. Um, and and what I guess I'm saying here with all that is that we have managed to balance very well with our development in developing applications and features that are specific to blind people as well as things that are needed for. Um, advanced productivity, as well as things for entertainment and mainstream um, communications and social networking, and I think part of the reason that they've been able to do that and do it at this pace is that they have stuck with Windows CE.
2: Is the U2 replacing the BrailleSense Plus and BrailleSense Plus Cordy? Are you discontinuing those?
11: We are, yes.
2: What are you looking at for a price point for the BrailleSense U2?
11: It will be the same as the current BrailleSense Plus, so it will be 59.95.
2: Is that what the Cordy model is going to be as well?
11: Yes, they will be the same price.
2: You guys have released a really cool new Braille display called the Braille Edge. Can you kind of introduce us? To- to the Braille
11: Edge. Our Braille Edge is a 40 cell Braille display with a Perkins style keyboard. It does have some basic note-taking features. It has an SD card slot that will take up to a 32 gig SD card. Um, it has a notepad, a calculator, uh, it has a calendar, um, an alarm clock, um, of course it has the terminal for screen reader that is its, its main function. Um, It also has a uh, a countdown timer and stopwatch. So these are the um, internal standalone applications that it also has. The notepad is a little bit more basic than what you're gonna find in a note taker, but as someone pointed out, it's really more synonymous with the word note taker. Um, That's more its function. It does really allow you to take notes. It's a very good memo pad. It lets you create um, braille or text files. Uh, The other great thing, I think, about the notepad is that you're able to read BRF files on the go. So it's really good to read books on the go. The other unique thing about the Edge is uh, the keyboard. It has various other keys in addition to the 9-key Perkins-style keyboard. It has eight function keys, and these keys are programmed to things like Escape, Tab, Control, Alt, Shift, Insert, Windows, and Applications. So what's great about this is if you're using this with Java and you need to do an insert J. You can actually do an insert J. You don't have to memorize all kinds of strange combinations, but you also get the intuitive input of your Braille keyboard that you know many Braille users really prefer to use a Braille keyboard. At the same time, on a PC, trying to emulate all those commands can be a little bit strange and you have a lot of memorization. So we've kind of tried to combine both and give you um, the function keys so that you don't have to memorize everything, but also give you that intuitive input with your Braille keyboard. It is compatible with JAWS, Window Eyes, um, Helen Supernova, NVDA, System Access, VoiceOver for the Mac with Mountain Lion, and we have iDevice compatibility. Uh, we also have compatibility with mobile accessibility as well as mobile speak Symbian.
2: What is the price point for the? real edge. It's
11: twenty nine ninety five. You can visit our website at www.hims-inc.com. It's himsin com. Please feel free to call us at um, 888-520-4467 or email support at hims
2: Jenny, I'd like to thank you for coming on the main menu today and talking with us. It's been great talking to you and learning some more about these two new products.
11: Thanks for having me.
1: I guess about the only other uh, product that I know of that HIMSS uh, had during the year that uh, we haven't heard about here because I didn't really see there was uh, much of a way we could demonstrate it but people might be interested in knowing about an app for iOS called HIMSS chat and what it is is a a software for their iOS devices that allows a deafblind person using a braille display and braille keyboard to communicate with someone using an iPhone, iTouch, or iPad, and of course you could do that either with the sighted person using, you're using the keyboard actually on the device, or you could attach a Bluetooth keyboard to it and also do it that way. So that was has pretty much been our HIMSS coverage
2: for the year. So we of course talked a lot about note takers, both looking at them in terms of what's out there and covering new note takers as their release, but that's not certainly the only thing we covered here on main menu. One of the most popular things that gets people excited in the blind community is the release of a new update to a popular screen reader. And we were on top of the major screen readers again this year. The first one that we covered was JAWS 14. And David, I believe you spoke with Eric Damery about the JAWS 14 update in addition to some demos that we had by main menu staff members.
1: I did an interview with uh, Eric back at, around the first part of December uh, about JAWS 14 and we talked all about the, late, the new features and that it now supported Windows 8 and um, basically did an old good overview on that and then he, he also talked at the same time about a release for early December and that came ended up coming out like the second week of December. And then he also did mention uh, that there will be an upgrade somewhere in mid to late January, which will include also some improvements in the uh, voices that are used with JAWS, i.e. the vocalized vo- vocalizer of voices, and uh, that we should really be looking forward to that because In that release, we're going to get some of the things that we've been wanting from some of the natural speaking voices for quite a while. And he says we're finally going to get those. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I think a lot of other people are, too.
2: I think we all like the human sounding voices. So I will certainly be checking those out when we find out more about those as well.
1: Well, I am very pleased to have with me today Mr. Eric Damry, Vice President of Software Products for Freedom Scientific. And Eric, it is always good to have you come on with us on Main Menu to talk about the latest going on with JAWS. And uh, the recent release of JAWS 14 is, is certainly a good time to do that. Welcome to Main Menu.
12: Well, thank you, David, and it's a pleasure to be be back on Main Menu this year. I always look forward to this time of the year because we get an opportunity to get the new product out and get out there and start talking to people about it. It has been a busy year, and in addition to JAWS 14, of course, we have been working hard over the past several years on Magic, and we released a new ground-up version of Magic, uh, Magic 12 which came out right about the same time as JAWS 14. It's designed to work in conjunction with JAWS 14 of course but it is a great magnification with speech product on its own. It's got the new enhanced HD uh, font smoothing and uh, that's in addition to fonts will work for mouse pointers as well so I think users are really going to take advantage of, of that new attribute in fonts and, and mice and also you'll find that we added in a feature called speech on demand which allows users to be able to tell magic to not speak unless you actually ask it to. so when you're switching from one window to the next it's not going to be a lot of chatter but at any time you want it to read something whether it be a line or start a say all or read the window title you issue the keyboard command or the mouse command and it will speak as it always did we also released this year a 14 cell focus uh, bluetooth braille display which has been a huge Hit. Um it's compatible with the new version of the iPhone of course it works with JAWS for Windows on all the Windows platforms and uh, that one's been going like crazy so JAWS 14 probably the key feature that has gotten most of the buzz was one that we didn't put in the initial public beta uh, it's called flexible web and to give a, a brief overview the idea is to give an, an end user the opportunity to uh, indicate to JAWS through a, a wizard through an easy set of rules uh, to identify things on particular web pages which you may not want spoken. So frames that contain ads or advertisements or uh, could be a a, a frame that has links in it or a group of of elements that you would just as soon skip over whenever you land on this web page because you use the page often and there's only certain things that you want to get to. So you can kind of teach JAWS to eliminate those things. Just take them out of the virtual buffer. You can also, with Flexible Web, set up rules on particular pages where you want Jaws to start reading. So if, if it's a news page, you can, you can teach the news site that you always want Jaws when the new page loads to start from the main body of the story instead of having to read all the heading information and all the links to get to it or having to use navigation quickies to skip through all of this information and get to it. You can set up a rule so that Jaws can automatically start reading from that point. Probably the next big piece of news that came out in 14 that a lot of people have wanted to take advantage of was the new vocal vocalizer synthesizer a vocalizer is the next generation of real speak really from nuance it's still under development by nuance so it's continuing to improve and this vocalizer voice will also become available in the magic 12 release it's not at this moment but it will be shortly uh, in an update and the next uh, version of open book that we put out will also take advantage of vocalizer um, so after those two key changes that just about everyone can take advantage of we have the new windows operating system Windows 8 which was announced the end of October by Microsoft and uh, Jaws for Windows 14 is ready to go. So if you do upgrade to Windows 8 or if you get a new computer and it's got Windows 8 on it, take advantage of it right away with Jaws for Windows 14 release, install it on there. I think for the most part, Windows 8 on a PC with with a keyboard feels very much like Windows 7, except the start menu is now a start screen. And so the the navigation is a little bit different getting to the way you shut down the computer or restart the computer. There's a couple of new keystrokes. There are new New applications which Microsoft has created uh, that they intend on really being available for the tablet environment or the phone environment with the new Windows 8 platform. These applications are fairly basic there are actually a lot of games some of them are accessible some of them are not um, but I think you know users will start to take advantage of, of trying those out on Windows 8 on the, the PC and I think Microsoft Surface running full Windows 8 Pro is just around the corner. Here after the first of the year, we're looking forward to getting our hands on one and taking a look at it. This is a tablet that will be running a full version of Windows where you'll, you should have no problem getting JAWS for Windows installed and running. And uh, we will be introducing touch screen support coming for JAWS 14. Once we get these tablets out there and we start to uh, to do our final testing, the development is underway and uh, you'll be able to take advantage of touch screens using JAWS as well as the keyboard on those tablets. Also, we've made some enhancements to Text Analyzer I'd like to talk about. Text Analyzer is a feature that we introduced in an earlier version of JAWS for Windows. Uh, It allows you to step through any inconsistencies in your document. So if you have created an email message or a Word document, and let's say you have open parentheses or quotes or extra spaces or capitalization maybe on letters that don't seem quite right, like a second letter in the Word instead of the first letter, or or no capitalization at all at the beginning of a sentence. Um, JAWS for Windows with Text Analyzer has been able to let you move from one inconsistency to the next, identify what it is, and let you decide if you want to fix it uh, in your document or email message before you do anything with it. So it's a very nice tool. Now in JAWS 14, we've added in the ability to not only find inconsistencies, such as font changes and when attributes like bold or underline change, or the color of the text, uh, point size, whatever it might be. But when it finds one of these changes, it stops at that location and it identifies what just changed. So it will tell you if text changed colors. It will tell you if text changed point size or if an attribute like bold has been applied or if you've reached the end of the bold text and you've gone back to normal text. So it's a very nice way of stepping through a document. And I, and I think it's really, it's the first tool that we've ever had available to us where a blind user could actually walk through and really check his document. We've also added a feature from Microsoft Word into html where you can drop a place marker a temporary place marker at some point on a web page and then you can read to some other location on the web page and then with a simple keystroke insert space and m to mark the text it will select uh, all the text between your temporary place marker and your current location on the web page you may be selecting from further down the page backwards up towards the top or you may be selecting forward depends which you know where you put your temporary and where you've moved since then. But this is a great way of not having to hold down the shift key and navigate through a web page, selecting a line at a time.
1: Most of the, uh, I'll call them Metro apps, although we, the name has, I believe, as you say, it changed. Are you finding that most of the Metro apps are fairly easy to access, or uh, what are you seeing there?
12: You know, I've looked at quite a few, and uh, the Internet uh, Explorer and the internet email uh, package that comes and the calendar and the contacts that you get in in Metro style, we've uh, spent quite a bit of time to make sure that we get those things working well. And for the most part, those programs seem pretty good, and I think Microsoft put a lot of emphasis on those those programs to make sure that they were going to work right. Many of the other Metro style apps, whether they be games or financial pages or weather report pages or news article pages. Uh, many of these things have a, a they're a bit clunky to navigate with the keyboard and some, somewhat difficult in, in many areas to be able to really get to the information that you want to get and then be able to review it. Uh, so you can oftentimes get a chunk to read but it's very difficult to to navigate it and review it in detail. So I'm still a little bit skeptical about these Metro apps uh, in general. I think we will uh, see improvements in these things. And even the ones that, that claim to be accessible, uh, don't always seem to be really easy to use. They're certainly not uh, the same as a desktop app and the same navigation that you would anticipate from an application. So in many cases, uh, you, you can't necessarily tap through it. You can't necessarily arrow through the app.
1: Well, Eric, I want to thank you for coming on the main menu and talking all about Windows 8 and JAWS 14 and all of the improvements and the enhancements.
12: Well, thank you, David. Thanks for having us on, and I wish everyone... A, a fantastic holiday season.
1: Okay, our second uh, screener, I uh, guess, that we maybe should talk about, uh, and uh, we haven't actually included a highlight here for any of the coverage of NVDA, but we actually interviewed Michael Kern, the one of the primary developers on NVDA and the the founder of NV Access, which is the company that, that owns and uh, promotes NVDA all over the world. Uh, We talked to to Michael about three different times during the year to see how things were coming along with NVDA. Of course, it is a free screen reader, but it has made some tremendous progress this year. Uh, Everything from the addition of what is called add-ons, which allows people to uh, go and write Specific features and has uh, made it really really easy to add those on to NVDA, and then the other big things was the release uh, in this fall of NVDA uh, 2012 release three, which included support for Windows 8 and Windows 8 touchscreens.
2: NVDA, since it's a free and open source screen reader, is something that's growing really quick, especially with those add-ons that you just mentioned. So we were really glad to bring you coverage of all of the NVDA upgrades, since it is really beginning to really develop and even catch up with the paid screen readers, so it'll be very interesting to keep up with that throughout the next years. Now, David, at the beginning of the year we actually had a contest involving a giveaway of NVDA with a bunch of add-ons and tutorials with it. Can you talk a little bit about what we actually did for this contest?
1: Well, what we did was we had this little contest uh, and we said, you know, if you uh, sign up for the Main Menu Friends mailing list or you sign up to follow us on Twitter, And if you happen to be the the, I think we started out like at the 100th and 50th person to sign up for the friends mailing list uh, or the 300th person to sign up for Twitter. You'd win one of the packages. And then we came out down to close to the end of the month and we were a little short on those goals. Uh, Not a whole lot, but a little bit. And so what we did was we finally came down to saying the last person that that signs up for one of the groups before the end of January January, uh, will win the package and we did have a winner and, uh, Oops.
2: didn't we have two winners?
1: Yeah, actually we did. We had one for, for both for friends and for Twitter. Uh, but it was the last person to sign up on each one. Yeah. Yeah uh and that went really that went really well and uh, that was kind of a fun thing to do and we're trying to come up with some ideas of maybe how we can do something else kind of uh different and exciting to stimulate a little interest just to keep people uh, uh, from falling asleep or whatever during our program no I mean <laughs> stimulate some interest and uh, uh I think this year this coming year we're going 2013 i don't know we're gonna we might work something out uh, Chase will take you out for dinner at your favorite restaurant, no matter where it is, any place in the United States or or something. We'll figure out something.
2: <laughs> we will, so stay tuned to find out what we're going to do. It might not be that, but who knows? Uh, so stay tuned and, and find out.
1: And he really likes McDonald's real well. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only restaurant I think that he knows him, but I, I'm not sure about that. He hasn't
2: said. I know, actually. I know him. I know more than that.
1: Oh, okay. Well, he heard about Burger King too. He's in. He's down there, you know, in Cow Country, so they they've heard of Burger King. So our final screen reader that we well, let's see. I think we've got actually two screen readers up. Uh, the The next screen reader that we really covered was uh, changes in voiceover with both Mountain Lion and with iOS 6. You want to talk about that a little bit, Chase?
2: Yeah, so we talked quite a bit with David Woodbridge, who a lot of you are going to know from his almost weekly demos he does for Main Menu on the Mac and iOS. And he's actually doing some for Android now, which you'll be hearing in the coming weeks. So I spoke with David about the biggest new features in iOS 6 and Mountain Lion when those came out. And he not only told us about the new software features, both the mainstream features and the accessibility features, but we also found out about the new hardware that came out with iOS, such as the iPhone 5, the new iPod Touch, and other new hardware. So David kept us up to date on the goings-on at Apple.
1: And I think one of the greatest things that really happened with both Mountain Lion and the voiceover with Mountain Lion and with iOS 6 uh, for the I devices was they added support for a lot of the new Braille displays, including all the Hims devices and uh, the yeah, new humanware displays and some of the new HandyTech displays. They support now something over 40 different displays, which is just amazing.
2: I think it'd be a challenge to find a Braille display that wouldn't work with these devices. Apple's done a really good job keeping up with that. And the other thing we've really noticed is that for those of you using both the Mac and an iOS device, they're really starting to work close to the same. Of course, the desktop OS is going to be more powerful because it's geared more towards producing rather than consuming content. But a lot of the features from iOS are making their way over to the Mac and the other way around as well. So they're really becoming very close in the way that they work
1: Yeah, and uh, the Mac operating system, Mountain Lion, comes to looking a whole lot closer to being like what is an iOS. And it's my understanding that actually the eventual goal is to have them to the point that they operate almost identical.
2: Hello, everyone. This is Chase Crispin, and I am joined today by David Woodbridge, who all of you know from the excellent tutorials that we play from Vision Australia. And today, David and I are going to be speaking about Mountain Lion, which is the newest update to Mac OS X, Apple's operating system. So, David, thank you for joining me on Main Menu today, and thanks for everything that you provide for Main Menu as far as your tutorials.
5: Thanks for having me again.
2: iCloud integration is probably the biggest advantage if you have an iOS device and a Mac. So, can you tell us about how iCloud
5: works in Mountain Lion? But basically, the way it'll work is that, or the way it does work is... You basically when you open up a document, say for example, let's keep it nice and basic in Text Edit, you will get an option to either open up an existing document on your iCloud account, which is tied to your Apple ID, or your local Mac. And basically for all intents and purposes, you're just looking at a list of files on a folder on the cloud and the same that you would do on your local Mac. And again, if you wanted to save a document when you bring up the Save as dialogue box and you know, you type in the file name, again you will get two checkboxes where you can again save the document to iCloud or save a document to your local machine. Can you talk a little bit about iMessage, which has been added to the Mac? And basically allows you to send messages between your own iOS devices or anybody else that has an iOS device linked up again to their Apple ID, which is very nice because i can be sitting at my mac and my wife might be out and about and she has an iphone and an ipad and i can send her a message directly from my mac she then receives it and then she can reply back on her iphone or an ipad and i get the message right back on my mac and i can read it and respond to it again
2: there are a couple of new apps on the mac that people will recognize if they have an ios device which include
5: reminders and notes can you talk a little bit about these Ah, now these are the two that I absolutely love. With reminders, of course we know that on your iOS device you can do reminders to remind you at a certain time or you can add to an existing list for shopping, etc. Well, all that functionality is now available on your Mac, which is absolutely fantastic. I can... If I'm working on a Mac and you know I happen to nick over to the fridge and I think, "Oh dear, I've just finished off the last milk because I've been drinking coffee or tea, um I can go back to my mac i can." update my shopping list on my reminder shopping list to say next time we go shopping we've got to get more milk or more coffee etc and of course being all part of icloud and my apple id that's immediately synced back to my account of course on my ios device whether it's my iphone or ipad Cool. and it's all vice versa it's absolutely spectacular i absolutely love it the notes app works in a similar way to the way that reminders work so again you can sync notes between your ios device and your Mac as well. And the nice thing about it is something that I use a lot of the time because I've got different accounts, I can have on my notes app on the Mac, my different uh, accounts that I have also have my iPhone. so I can actually have different accounts for for work and home based on my Apple IDs. And I can just again, I can update or add a note on my Mac and get the same information again on my iPhone.
2: Another new thing that, again, people are gonna recognize from the iPhone and iPod touch and iPad, this is the addition of the notification center to the Mac.
5: Yes, and it's it's sort of similar in a way to notifications on the iOS device. So where it sits is actually in what used to be called the status menu in uh, on the Mac. So traditionally, the people that use VoiceOver that would be control option or VOM twice to get to your status menu on the Mac, and then that's called the Extras menu. And in there, you've got your notifications, which you can do VO spacebar on. When you go into there, you can check all your current notifications. And again, you'll have a notifications system preference where you can tell notifications what things you wanna put in your notifications area. So things like, do you wanna be notified of mail, calendar? So with the notifications area where you can actually Add and remove things too, but you can actually Twitter from the notifications area as well. So, besides getting your notifications for Twitter, you can actually post to Twitter from the notification center, which I think is actually very, very neat. So, there's also
2: a new feature which seems to kind of be starting to go along with Apple's sandboxing called Gatekeeper that allows you to kind of select what types of applications are allowed on your Mac. Can
5: you explain this a little further? It is, and look. I'm sort of in two minds about this one because it really irritates me. Um, Basically, with the Gatekeeper system now, you can choose to only run apps from the Mac App Store, only run apps from the Mac App Store or sign certificates from developers, or run applications from anywhere else. And what happens, of course, is if you, and I believe by default, because I've changed mine, it's Mac apps only. So when you try to install something like Skype, for example, that we're both currently using, it says this application is not allowed to be installed on your system. So then you have to go to Security in your System Preferences, change Gatekeeper to Everything, so you can install applications that you know, and have, as far as Apple's concerned, doesn't have a valid developer certificate or is not from the Mac App Store. So You know, for people that only use Mac Store applications, it's not going to be a big deal. But, you know, I'm sometimes worried that if I set or leave mine to, I want to install everything from anywhere that I'm then missing out on the security features of having Gatekeeper in there, so I don't accidentally install an application that might have a virus or malware or or everything else. Let's talk about another thing from
2: iOS, uh, which would be dictation, and something that a lot of people are looking forward to.
5: Now, this is the one that I absolutely love, yet again. Um, This is a good function. Basically, as we all know, with your iPhone 4X, for example, and the new iPad, of course, you can actually double tap the dictate button to the left of your spacebar to start dictating. And Then when you finish, you double tap again to stop dictating. Well, what they've done on the Mac is they've got exactly that same dictation function. So basically it's off by default. So you have to go into system preferences and there's a new system preference now called dictation and text-to-speech. Basically in there, you go in there and you turn on Dictation, And what happens is it enables you then to press your FN key or your function key twice. So on a normal Mac keyboard, that's the bottom left-hand key, the FN key. And when you double tap it or press it twice, you get the same lovely little beat that you get from iOS. You then start saying all the normal things that you can say with dictation on your iOS device. So you can say, you know, hi, chase, comma, new line, new line. It was great catching up to do this podcast today, comma, We need to catch up again and do some further chats online. Full stop, new line, new line, David. And then you can press the function key again twice. It does the single bit to say it's finished. And then you can then listen back to what you've dictated.
2: Let's kind of switch gears as far as what we're talking about. So there are a few changes. And the first one you already... Touched on a little bit, but that's the new accessibility pane in Mountain Lion and the new keystroke to access it.
5: That's right. When I mentioned previously, the the universal access that used to be in System Preferences has now been changed to Accessibility. And as we keep saying, that's the same name that they use in iOS. Um, So again, if you go to System Preferences and you just, you know, you can type in ACC to jump to Accessibility. It's in there. Now, for a long time, people have said, wouldn't it be nice if you go straight to accessibility functions, which you can do in some ways. But now what you can do is press Option, Command, F5, function key five, that brings up a accessibility panel that you can then choose to use all the accessibility preferences, such as Zoom for light print, voiceover, keyboard access for mouse and trackpad control, display preferences and you can also then also access that system preference accessibility panel straight from that pop-up dialogue on the screen as well there's probably just one final thing i probably should also mention for those people that have been hoping and praying for improvement for pdf accessibility and table accessibility with voiceover i'm happy or sadly to announce that that functionality has not improved so pdf file access particularly under preview still remains an issue you don't have still don't have structured information to tagged based information in PDF files, so i. e. headers, tables. And more annoyingly for me is the fact that you don't have proper access to tables in pages or text edit. Because when I went checked a document that I wrote three years ago for VoiceOver and looking at PDF file access and tables, that's exactly the same issues that I'm having now, even with Mountain Lion. So I really sincerely hope that in the next update to Mountain Lion or the next OS version for the Mac that they really, really do something with voiceover on PDF file accessibility, table accessibility, and I guess for me in particular, maybe a little bit more on supporting proofreading documents.
2: Hello, Main Menu. This is Chase Crispin, and I'm speaking with David Woodbridge again today about some new Apple things. We're speaking about new iPods and iPhones and the new operating system iOS 6. David, welcome back to Main Menu.
5: Thanks for having me back again.
2: So I think we'll start by going over the iPod Nano. The iPod Nano has been talked about a lot here on Main Menu because it's been accessible for a long time. I think it was actually the first talking iPod, but Apple's updated their Nano. So can you go ahead and talk about what they've updated it with?
5: Yep, the best Basically it's a 2.5 inch screen, which is very, very cool. It's got some buttons so that you can now change track, play, change your volume Uh, and of course we all know that it's got the built-in accessibility stuff for voiceover and it's also got mono audio and you can reverse the image on the screen to make it a bit easier to look at. And it's also got the new Lightning connector. So for people are not sure what the Lightning connector is all about, is Apple's changed the connector from the traditional 30-pin that the previous Nano had to the current Lightning one, which is a 9-pin, very small connector. It's not a macro USB one. It's their own USB general connector and you can basically pop it in any way you like sorry front or back into the port and it's supposed to fit without fiddling around and that's the same connector now that you'll find in the new iphone for example and the other really really cool thing that's got me extremely excited and has justified my purchase of my jam box is that the nano now has bluetooth so you can bluetooth to your bluetooth speakers or bluetooth headset so that makes it extremely cool indeed
2: let's talk about the new ipod touch
5: yep so again they've made the iPod touch slightly taller again like they have done with the iPhone Um, it also of course contains the new lightning port so again it's got that small port so it no longer supports the 30 pin connector and and what I should probably say at this point is that you can still get an adapter to convert a lightning cable into a or to connect to a 30 pin connector cable if you wish. but getting back to the iPod touch Um, So it's slightly taller, it's definitely thinner, it's now got the A5 chip in it. They've increased the camera to 5 megapixels, which I believe is a similar camera, camera to the one in the iPhone 4 and the really cool feature about the iPod Touch is the fact that you can also use it with Siri now. You really are getting a lot of the functionality now that you would get normally just in the iPhone itself.
2: So the new iPhone is actually called the iPhone 5. A lot of us thought it would just be the new iPhone, but it is the iPhone 5 and it has a lot of the things that we've been reading about and all the rumors that have circulated, but for people who might not be familiar with what's in the iPhone 5, can you give us an overview of that?
5: Yep, sure. So basically the iPhone 5, it It's basically what Apple's motto is that you should be able to use the phone and holding it in your hand and using your thumb comfortably. So it's not wider than it was before, it's actually a little bit taller. Um, You can now fit another row of icons on the screen. It's actually a lot thinner, it's lighter, and it's actually got an actual metal back with a glass insert at the top and bottom, of course, to let the the wireless stuff come out and into the iPhone itself. Of course, it's got the lightning connector, which is the small one. The headphone jack is down the bottom now rather than up the top. And it has three microphones for, of course, doing your talking and also noise cancellations. So it's actually very, very cool. It now supports LTE. The camera optics have been improved. It actually feels extremely, I don't know, it feels extremely thin, smooth, and very wonderful in your hand to hold it. The new iPhone will come in the, the normal different sizes, so it'll be 16 gig, 32 and 64. You're not missing out by not going to the iPhone 5, but there if there are features in ios 6 or features in in the iphone that's not supported in your you know the iphone for example like siri then it, it makes good sense to then upgrade to the iphone 5.
2: so here in the u.s all three models the 1632 and 64 gig iphone 5 are available on sprint verizon and at&t for the prices that you just mentioned and they're both in black and white models but can you talk a little bit for our international listeners about where they can find the iphone in international countries especially australia
5: Basically, all the carriers in Australia will be carrying the iPhone. so the, the main three carriers in Australia are Telstra, Vodafone and Optus and of course I forgot Virgin Mobile. So there's, there's four major carriers in Australia. So basically what I just say to people is ring up your local carrier and who you're with and just say you know how much is it on contract to get the new iPhone. Of course and I'm assuming it's the same way in the States now I believe that you can certainly buy an unlocked iPhone. So if you don't want to go with a plan and you just want to get the iPhone outright, which means you'll have to pay the full price for it basically, then there's nothing stopping you So we're not actually
2: going to discuss iOS 6 here Uh, we're actually going to present a demo that you have done, but the one thing that I want to touch on before we go into that, that's an iOS 6 feature is something that's going to be really big to low vision people, and this is that VoiceOver and zoom can now be used at the same time, because before you either had to use speech or use magnification so can you talk a little bit now about how the different accessibility programs work together in iOS
5: 6? Yep, so basically what Apple's done now with iOS 6 is they've made all the accessibility options that are in the iPhone now, or in iOS 6, I guess, work together so that when you try and run Zoom now with VoiceOver, it's not going to say you can only run one at a time. It'll basically just run. And the thing to be careful about is the fact that when you run the Zoom program with VoiceOver, of course, you're not going to have all the functionality that you're going to have with the full VoiceOver. So there'll be some gestures... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> That won't tend to operate the same. So, for example, I found, for example, in VoiceOver when I'm running it with Zoom, I can't use my rotor. Now, that might be the fact that I was just testing it really quickly and it just wasn't working properly. But I noticed when I tried to do a two-finger rotate, it wouldn't work. Um, Some of the three-finger gestures that you would use for, you know, doing your scrolling around or and or muting with VoiceOver, sometimes I noticed didn't work. But again, I wasn't 100% sure about in which situation that would happen. So. I would just say to people that just experiment because you are running for the first time two applications together that have got very different and some of the same gestures. So it's going to take a little bit of getting used to. You can also use VoiceOver now with the assistive touch so you can do your own custom gestures. The option I really like for accessibility that's a a new feature in iOS, of course, is the new guided assistance. And the guided assistance sort of comes in two flavors. One of the flavors, is you can actually draw circles around spots on the screen that you don't want a person to activate which is very good for, for children or other people that you might may not want to activate certain spots in an application because they might get too confused or too frustrated. But the item that I really like, and particularly for my children, uh, is the fact that you can actually now lock the home button, so to speak, so that when you press the home button, it doesn't exit out of the application. The person stays in the application. So for educational folks, that's actually very good because you can say to a person, this is the application you're, you're using and don't worry about if you press the, the big round button down the bottom of the screen because you won't accidentally come out of the application and get confused about how to get back into it. Well,
2: that's all I think we're going to cover in this interview since we have a pretty lengthy demo of a lot of these new features. So David, I want to just say thank you for joining us here today for this discussion of the new hardware and thanks for providing the demo of the new software, which we will go into right after this.
5: That's great. Thanks for having me. And as usual, I'll be doing more demos on iOS 6 in specific features. So in the meantime, sit back and enjoy the demonstration of iOS 6, and have fun, if you do, playing with the new iPhone 5. When
2: Windows 8 came out, David, you brought us several demos, and I know you're planning more. What kind of things did you tell us about Windows 8 earlier this year?
1: Well, we've looked at uh, some of the basics of Windows 8, and we looked at the fact that just not a whole lot has really changed you can uh, about anything that you were doing in Windows 7 you can also do in Windows 8 probably the biggest single change was going from a start menu to a start screen and with tiles and uh, all of that and uh, if you didn't hear that show you can always go back and check the art of the archives for that uh, come to the webpage and take a look at that and uh, then uh, we have looked at the narrator, the screen reader that's built into Windows, and took a pretty good look at the features that it, the new narrator has, and it has improved a lot. You know, I'm not going to say it's up to where you know the other screen readers are, but it's made a lot of improvements. And I'll tell you, uh, uh, before Windows 8, you certainly couldn't have said that you could use Microsoft Word to really con- construct a... a any kind of a sophisticated document with with narrator and uh, we have looked a little at using word and uh, later on we're going to look at some other things uh, with narrator and what you can do with narrator and we'll be looking with some of the other screen readers at what you can do in windows 8 but really basically the basic operation if you wanted to take uh, Office 2010 into uh, Windows 8, you won't have any big problem with it. it it'll work just fine. Uh, we have done a little bit, and we're going to do some bit more with uh, Windows 8 with Office 2013. Over the next couple of months, so Office 2013 is out. Uh, it's not completely out, but it is out to some extent and will be uh, basically completely out by the end of January. And people, I think, are really worried about that. And there have been some stories that have gone around about where that's going to be. But what I'm seeing so far is it looks like Office 2013 in general is going to be not all that different to uh, Office 2010, and most people are going to find it works quite well. Uh, I was amazed when I uh, used it with Narrator how, I, in Word, I could go through all the ribbons and <laughs> Narrator read everything to me, which was really surprising. And the in the other screen reader that we haven't talked about that we just had coverage very recently on with uh, Tim Cummings was... The new Windows 8 and their support for Windows 8.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Main Menu. This is Tim Cummings, and today I'm very happy to be speaking with Stephen Clower from GW Micro, who's going to tell us all about Windows 8.0 and all the great stuff that uh, is packed into this new update. I'm sure everybody's, especially people who are buying new computers or, or, or thinking about upgrading, are worried about the whole Windows 8 uh deal so why don't you uh, why don't you talk about you know Windows 8 and what what the new Windows does to a, to deal with that operating system which is kind of new and probably scary for a lot of people One thing is that you've really um, focused on um, some changes on using the Internet, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about those. One of the things that uh, there's been a lot of buzz on the list about is Window Eyes has support for some new synthesizers now. Now, to the high premium voices, do, they they're still pretty responsive under Window Eyes. Window Eyes will now run in safe mode, which is a first. The other feature that and I've been saying, why haven't they done this for years and you guys finally did and this is this is just amazing is uh many of us have the problem where we're doing something on our computer, and all of a sudden we mute our sound card by mistake and then we're out in the cold unless we've got sighted assistance to uh, help us get back into uh into the swing of things and you guys have done something about that. <laughs>
7: The
0: reader, but have all the that gives you. So, where should people go to find out more about Windows 8? I know
1: we had some coverage. In fact, I did the interviews with Harry Brown about the driverless cars, and that's making a headway and moving right along. I understand, according to our last talk with Harry, we, it is now legal to have a driverless car on the public roads in three states. I think it was Florida, Nevada, and California. And there are a number of other states considering making it legal in their states, and things are moving right along. I'm pleased to have Mr. Harry Brown on with us today on Main Menu. Harry's been with us a couple of other times to talk to us about automated cars and where that technology stands and where it's going. And I am going to let you tell us all about what's been going on, what's going on now, and uh, how soon I need to make room in my garage for that new vehicle.
13: Now, the definition of the automated vehicle is a vehicle that drives itself. The driver, there's no human driver, so we take the human factor out of it, and all you have is the vehicle itself uh, driving the driver or and passengers. Really, you don't even need to use the word driver anymore because there's no, you're not driving, but uh, the vehicle drives you from place to place, and that's why they call it automated because you're not driving as a driver. The vehicle's driving you. What are the advantages to the automated vehicle? Uh, one of them is the biggest one is no more accidents. It's going to eliminate all vehicle accidents because what causes accidents? It's the human drivers. Uh, it's not the vehicles themselves. It's usually the drivers that cause accidents uh, that happen. So um, anyway, that's that's how that goes. And uh, I just thought I'd come in and update uh, folks on where we've been in the last six months. There's uh, a bunch of different things that have happened since uh, last August when uh, Jamie and I spoke. In August, Mercedes-Benz has uh, automated their braking technology on their uh, their cars this was as of uh, august of uh, 2011 after i talked with jamie i've got that this material the vehicle completely stops itself uh, does its own braking and avoids uh crashing into the vehicle in front of it so that's the automatic braking and mercedes is doing it and uh, not only is mercedes doing it but the other vehicle companies are doing it as well we go to september of 2011 berlin germany now has Instead of cabs with drivers, uh, they have automated taxis that uh, goes to a person's location and the person gets in and it drives them from uh, it drives them to their next place. Uh, so Berlin implemented uh, a bunch of automated taxis uh, in their city. In October of 2011, the Ford Explorer, uh, the folks at Ford told me that uh, in 2013 on the Ford Explorer, it's going to have something called Lane Keep. Now Lane Keep is a automation which if the driver goes in the wrong lane then lane keeps or lane keep takes over the vehicle and puts the vehicle back in the correct lane so this way you don't have uh, people being in the wrong lanes and uh, having accidents in uh, when you're going opposite like a northbound driving in a southbound lane mm-hmm. now january 2012 the folks at ford again in january 2012 the folks at ford indicated that the Ford or the 2013 fusion will have active park assist which parks the vehicle now the 2011 Mercury's did have active park assist so that's already been around for a while but now other vehicles and other companies such as Ford and others are having the active park assist where you push a button when you get in the parking lot you push uh, a button the vehicle parks itself as a matter of fact it parks itself perfectly and uh, because uh, it sees a place to park it knows exactly where the parking spots are. And uh, it parks itself perfectly. And also, you've got the blind spot information system, which tells the driver uh, that there's a car coming from their left or their right, uh, and the driver is not going to be able to see that car. Well, the vehicle will see that car now, and it will say, vehicle coming from your left or vehicle coming from your right. Then there was, in January also, the folks at Audi have unveiled Traffic Jam Assist, which will... Uh, take over if the vehicle's in a traffic jam, and it'll get you uh, as a vehicle driver. It will get the vehicle to a clear lane, and uh, they have drove these up to 37 miles an hour, uh, automated-wise. The other thing, in February, uh, the folks at BMW have uh, the automated car, and they call theirs the Robo car, and it drove itself on the Autobahn. Now that, if anybody <laughs> knows about the Autobahn, you know oh, that yeah. you know, no speed limit. <laughs> You make your own speed limit, right? And these, the vehicle, the robo car, uh, drove itself perfectly on the autobahn, and uh, no collisions, uh, etc. One of the last developments is the state of Nevada now has given Google permission to drive, or to have, I should say, their automated vehicles on Nevada roads, and Florida should be next uh, to do that. Um, and Google is working with five or six other states to allow automated vehicles. Believe it or not, unreal. Uh, on their roads uh, just like the state of nevada has done now testing is going very very well they as a matter of fact drove it uh, uh, they had an automated vehicle in the state of utah and this vehicle drove at 130 miles an hour drove itself at 130 miles an hour and they were testing this vehicle no accidents no loss of control it handled perfectly and so once the automation takes place uh, we can up the speed limit on the expressways dramatically. You're not going to have to go at 65 or 70 miles an hour. We can we can almost double that, mm. and so you're going to get there twice as fast as you do now because you're getting the the human factor out of the way. And uh, when you get the human factor that can't react nearly as fast as an as a machine, these vehicles now are doing 250. Calculations per second. They analyze the road that much in one second, 250 times. The other thing too um, that I want to talk about is something called "Here I Am" technology. The folks at the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or NHTSA, um, are working on this as well. Let's say you're in an automated vehicle and you're on your local roadway or on the expressway, whatever. And there's uh, automation vehicles. Every every vehicle's automated. But anyway, let's say that everything's fully automated and. Uh, your vehicle's driving itself. Well what's going to happen also is there's something called here I am technology and what that is is the vehicle in front of your vehicle will tell the vehicles to the right of it, to the left of it, it'll tell your vehicle uh, all right, I'm slowing down, I'm going to turn, I'm going to get it off at to exit 40 or uh, local driving. I'm going to uh, turn on 6th Street at the light and I'm slowing down and so the vehicles all get the message. And uh, they stop appropriately, and on the expressway, the vehicle that's getting off will get off. Same with merging. If a vehicle's coming on the expressway, it will tell all the vehicles that it's merging. Here I come. I'm coming on the expressway from uh, uh, whatever road or whatever road or whatever highway, and it'll merge. And so this Here I Am technology is called vehicle-to-vehicle communications, where it's talking to the vehicles behind it, to the right, and to the left of it as well. And uh, if the testing goes well with what we're doing, if it continues to go well, this technology should be in, uh, you'll see full automation, hopefully by 2015 to 2017. Well, we've got quite a bit of news for you folks on driverless vehicles. And we're going to start with uh, GM announced that they will be having a uh, a piece of software on their, um, or a piece of technology on their uh, 2014 uh, vehicles called Super Cruise, and Super Cruise will let the vehicle drive itself uh, in traffic, uh, in your, in a traffic jam. So you just uh, let the vehicle drive. You push a button and it drives itself uh, in the traffic jam and puts on the brakes when needed, speeds up when needed, slows down when needed, and uh, it's really good for city driving, that kind of thing. So that was what they announced on April 1st. Florida, the state of Florida, became the second state to allow driverless cars on their highways behind uh, the state of Nevada. On April 23rd, GM executive says Cadillacs will be on the roads by 2020. So uh, they're already in the works uh, to do that with their Cadillacs. And uh, now some other companies like Ford and others have said 2017. So we'll have to see how that's going to work if it's going to be 2017 or 2020. On May 8th, the state of Nevada uh, lets the, uh, the the DMV, grants a license to Google for its uh, driverless vehicles. So you have Nevada and Florida. On the 26th of June, Ford announced that vehicles with Traffic Jam Assist will be on the market in 2017. Traffic Jam Assist is the same thing which uh, Super Cruise. On the 6th of July of 2012, Ford says that they will have uh, self-totally, and this is why it's conflicting a little, totally automated self-driving vehicles on the roads by 2017. On July 17, Toyota says they will have uh, Priuses that drive themselves on the market between 2015 and 2017. On August 17, Google passed the 300,000-mile mark in their vehicles. Uh, that drive themselves. They have a fleet of Toyota Priuses and those vehicles uh, passed the 300,000 mile mark. Now they're up to about 320,000 miles now. Accident free. Uh, Completely accident free on the roads in California, Nevada, and Florida. Governor Jerry Brown of California signs into law a bill to legalize driverless cars on California highways. It makes California the third state in the Union to legalize driverless cars. And on October 18, 2012, Volkswagen tests drive-by-wire technology that makes vehicles drive themselves to a success. And uh, so that's, that's the latest. We've, we've got some really great things going on. Uh, I'm working with other states right now, uh, New Jersey. Uh, Oklahoma, uh, those two states are considering driverless vehicle legislation as well. Now they're not going to be on the market folks until all the states uh, legalize the driverless vehicle Uh, and as you can see we're working with each state to get that done and when all states have it legal uh, then we will have these vehicles on the market for sale. Uh, But they have passed every test so far, they've done perfectly well. now Google is working on letting these vehicles drive themselves in snow storms. If you are in a state and you hear about this technology coming to your state, uh, get on the horn to your uh, legislators and tell them that you want to see this uh, this legislation passed in your state.
1: Actually, they estimate that the automation is only going to add a couple thousand dollars to the regular price.
5: That is correct. Approximately three to four thousand dollars,
13: which really blew me away as well. I I thought it would be a lot more.
1: It's always good to have you come on and update us. uh, And we'll look forward to having you back sometime in the first part of next year.
13: I look forward to it. We'll have some uh,
1: probably a lot more news. Um, In fact, just a little bit of an update there, Chase. Uh, I recently talked to the folks at NFB to get an, an update on where things stand with their driverless car, which really isn't a driverless car, but it makes it possible for a blind person to drive a vehicle. And they have kind of shifted their their approach a little. They are working with folks like uh, Google and a number of different organizations, doing a lot of their work with uh, universities and different research groups. And uh, one of the things they're looking at is, you know, some of the driverless car things, uh, they're looking at, well, there really won't be a driver, but, you know, in the case of, oops, the automated system goes out, what would happen? And so a lot of what they're concentrating on is, well, it's nice to have the driverless vehicle, but there better be a way that a blind person could actually drive that vehicle if they needed to. And so, looking at some of the things like were used in the driver challenge, the blind driver challenge back a couple of years ago, and what can they do to improve that technology and make that more viable for uh, the uh, blind user to use in uh, driving a vehicle on the road. So uh, that was some very interesting coverage, and it's been really exciting getting Harry on to talk about developments there. And if you listen to some of the car commercials recently, you'll see some of those early things that... uh, uh, are talked about uh, as starting to get there are already appearing in some of the vehicles. I heard a commercial here just recently about a car that can park itself in the parking lot. And I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> they're actually selling this already. Wow.
2: They also have cars that can, I think, you know, back up kind of on its own and really watch for things that are behind you because that's, you know, I've heard from a lot of people, the hardest part of driving is, you know, backing out of driveways and such. So a lot of this stuff that they're coming up with isn't just going to benefit blind drivers, it's going to end up benefiting the sighted drivers as well. But it's a really interesting field that is really coming out. So we look forward to keeping on top of these driverless cars or blind driver cars that are really starting to be developed. And we will be hearing a lot more about those here on Main Menu over the next months and years
1: yeah and I think probably eventually we'll have someone on from <clears throat> from the uh, NFB Resource uh, Research Center to talk about what they're doing but uh, at least give you that update on what we do know about what's going on with with their projects and where they're spending their time and money at this point point. and I'll tell you what uh, from my days driving uh, if they come up with something that'll parallel park, boy, that, that was my worst thing when I could drive. Uh, I just hated parallel parking, and uh, <laughs> even as a sighted person, I would have loved to have had that.
2: Here at Main Menu, we are always covering technology, but we also occasionally visit with hosts and producers of other assistive technology shows for the blind and visually impaired. This past summer, I got the chance to visit with Jamie Pauls, who is the host of the Cerro Talk podcast, and Joe Steinkamp, who is the executive producer for all of the shows over at the Talk Podcast Network, about what they do on their podcast network of shows. Hello, Main Menu listeners. This is Chase Crispin, and I'm here this week with another interview with two people who I don't think are strangers to any of you if you listen to other podcasts. I am visiting today with Joe Steinkamp, the executive producer of the Talk Podcast Network. I'm also visiting with someone who's familiar to probably most of you. Uh, Jamie Pauls is the content director at Serotech and host of the Talk Podcast Network and some other stuff too. Today we're talking about the Talk Podcast Network, which is a series of podcasts from Serotech. And Joe, can you go ahead and introduce us to Talk and the network?
6: Sure. Cero Talk uh, is a show that uh, started in November of 2008, a long time ago, hosted by Michael Loff and Ricky Enger, who is still here with us at Cerro and not able to join us today. But Cero uh, Talk uh, started off as a every two weeks program about some of the tech of today, as well as the assistive technology news of today. And slowly that kind of grew into a weekly program and uh, as it is now and the focus became a little greater on more mainstream tech because serotech as a whole believes in community and the power of the mainstream giving uh, blind individuals the power to make their own decisions their own purchases and affect those that are around them and sero talk is not an infomercial, but uh, a conversation about what's going on in technology. And we feel very strongly about that because 95% of us at Serotech are blind or visually impaired. And so we like talking a lot. And we like talking about what everybody else talks about, which is I'd like buying this stuff and this is cool. And that's what we've tried to do with Serotech. And Serotech did so well for us. And that led us into uh, one of our first spinoff shows, which is called End of Line. Uh, which is available at eolshow.com or on the front page of iBlink Radio. End of line was Ricky and I talking all the time about the books and movies and stuff that we were into. We thought, okay, if we're going to do this podcast network thing, let's do something that we know, that we feel comfortable with, something that makes a lot of sense. So eating, listening to music, and reading books, yeah, we can talk about all that stuff. And that turned into end of line. At the same time, we had another show called Tech Chat which got reformed into serospectives. And out of those shows, we did that Android show with uh, J.J. Metta and Android Anna and myself at the time doing uh, conversations about what it was like to be a blind Android user. And of course, if you're going to do a show about Apple, you know, it's a great companion piece to go against this show about Android. And that's what led us into Triple Click Home. So those were our first shows that we kind of sort of added along with the reformed Sarah and Sarah literally became This Month in Assistive Technology although we still use it for doing special dad show which is kind of unique is that whereas Sarah Talk it's Ricky, Jamie and I talking about what's cool and what's available This Month in AT and Sarah is other people in the community it's not about what we think it's about what Steve Sachan who's our host for the program Uh, And those guests that are on that month feel about the month's events because it matters more to us uh, about what the community is saying and what the community is asking for and providing content from our email and our iReports or on Twitter or Facebook from what other people have thought about our shows. And that's what helps us drive some other shows. So when people have ideas about shows or write us in about you should cover this, um, that could actually turn into a whole other pilot. And We actually have three shows in development now uh, for the network that we're working on kind of behind the scenes. Our new show, High Contrast, uh, which I'm very proud of, um, is a show that focuses on low vision. And that's hosted by uh, Jeremy Curry of GW Micro and um, Maury Hill of AI Squared and Rodney from Tech Access Weekly.
14: Our eye reports and our emails and blog comments are really more and more, I think, starting to drive our show probably to a, an extent more than it ever has before. I'm, you know, obviously we look at the stories of the week and that's gonna drive the content and is what's happening in the news, but our listeners and those that comment are kind of letting us know what really interests them and what their opinions are. And it's it's really a good feeling to be able to incorporate those into the podcast itself.
6: We're famous for doing our ATIA, CSUN, NFB and ACB uh, coverage. Um, and we were really happy this year not only to share that with the radio reading services, but we were thrilled to be asked by main menu to provide coverage uh, as well. And we're excited to be able to do that again this year. Uh, so after our initial run on SBN, uh, we're we're thrilled to be able to pass along that information over to you guys to get you to come over to our podcast, but we'll give you a we'll give you a little free sample. We'll That's right. We'll get you listen to our convention <laughs> coverage. and uh, Ricky and I are going to cover. Uh, NFB this year, and then Jamie is going to do ACB this year.
2: So what is the best way for people to send in that feedback? Well, you can definitely send the
14: email to resources at serotalk.com, resources at serotalk.com. You can go over to iBlink Radio, either for iOS or Android, and leave an iReport. You can call what is affectionately known as the Blab line, which is 866-997-2522. Or you can um, go to serotalk.com and leave a comment on the blog on the show notes page. Now, that's for Serotalk. You can use any of the above mentioned uh, ways to contact our other podcast as well. Only instead of going to serotalk.com, you would go to the show page for that particular podcast that you're interested in and leave a comment there as well. And we do use blog comments
6: uh, on our show. Or follow us on Twitter. You can write us there. There's a... Uh, that Android which is also Twitter.com slash that show end of line, which is EOL or that is Twitter.com slash EOL show triple click home, which is triple click home.com. And the same goes for twitter.com slash triple click home. Serospectives, which is S-E-R-O-S-P-E-C-T-I-V-E-S. <laughs> so Sarah Spectives.
2: And for anybody who doesn't remember all those URLs we just gave out, as Joe and Jamie both said, there's iBlink Radio. For iOS and Android, you can find all the shows there. And Main Menu and ACB Radio are also there. So if you have an iOS or an Android device, check out iBlink Radio to find Sarah Talk shows and Main Menu shows. Well, Jamie and Joe, it's been great talking to you and learning more about SPN, the Serotalk Podcast Network. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will come check it out. You guys do great work, and it's been really great talking to both of you on Main Menu today.
1: One of the other things that we have had some coverage on and is different apps for the different phones and so forth, and particularly some of the different apps that were blind-related apps or might be particularly good for, for blind users on iPhone, iPad, and so forth. There's a number of new ones out that uh, we will be trying to cover over the next couple of months or so. I know Chase and I have talked about two or three that we'd like to cover, and so you can uh, plan on hearing a number of coverage of those different apps. And as the Android becomes more popular and more accessible, I'm sure we'll be hearing uh, more coverage on some of the different
2: apps For Android, also. Android in the last year has really improved. It's gone from a point where you really had to just use a hardware keyboard and arrow keys to navigate the operating system, which did work, but it had flaws like the web browser wasn't accessible. You had to use an alternative browser, an email client, and Now, things are really improving. There's still, of course, some issues, but you can now use a touchscreen much like you can with the iPhone in terms of using gestures. There's some basic Braille display support built into the newer versions of Android, mainly 4.1 and 4.2. So Android is really becoming a good alternative for people looking for an accessible cell phone. So we really are looking at bringing you a lot of Android coverage in terms of both the operating system and the apps in 2013, as well as continuing the overview of the iOS devices.
1: And I imagine we will probably, uh, we are trying to arrange to get uh, some coverage on some of the low vision products uh, such as the uh, latest with Zoom text and Magic and some of the others. We are still very anxious to hear your suggestions for anything that you'd like for us to cover on main menu and we will certainly try to do that we will try to cover it ourselves or if you have something you'd like to cover for us yeah, be sure you get in contact with us and we'd be more than happy to have your submissions we're always willing to, to listen to and air your submissions about different technologies we can't begin to cover everything uh... we we uh... just don't have enough people and enough hours in our weeks days and months to cover everything and so Anytime we can get a little help, we certainly appreciate it.
2: But as you can tell, we do cover tons of different things, whether it's hardware or software, mainstream technology or assistive technology. We're always trying to cover whatever we can, so definitely keep up with the latest here at Main Menu, whether you subscribe to our Main Menu friends mailing list or you just get on the general ACB radio announce list. You can always find what's going on on our website on the homepage. Our announcements are there. You can follow us on Twitter at Main Menu. There's tons of ways that you can keep up with us and see what we're do And as David said, if you have anything that you would like to review, we always are looking for submissions from listeners and you can get those to us again by finding our email address and all of our contact info on our website, which is mainmenu.acbradio.org.
1: Well, I think I'm going to just say uh, thank you very much, Chase, for all your hard work this past year. Thank you for all the work you've done getting ready the highlight that we're airing here on this show. And it's been great working with you this year. I look forward to working with you again this in 2013. You're a great guy, and we really appreciate all the work you do for our Main Menu and ACB Radio.
2: Well, thanks, David, for everything. It's also been great working with you. Thanks for putting the shows together every week I know it's not an easy job it's a pretty big job to do every week so thank you for doing that and working with me I also want to thank I also want to thank everybody on the main menu staff we have a great team of people you don't always know everything they're doing but we always have people kind of working with us and telling us what we should work on, recording things for us, editing things for us. It's a very hardworking team. They're a great bunch of people to work with. So I want to thank all of the members of the Main Menu staff for working on this show. Look forward to working with all of you again throughout 2013 and beyond. And to all of our listeners, thank you for listening to this show. Have a great new year, and hey, if you're not a regular main menu listener, if you're hearing us on some other website or something for this special show, please do come by and check us out. We're always looking for new listeners, so we'd appreciate having you listen every week.
1: You have a great week.